park run's a bit of a beacon for a lot of people. It's it's such a wonderful thing. Yes, uh, and I don't say that lightly. Thank you. That that actually people can look at and go, that's an amazing thing. Yes, and you and you know what? All we do is we prove that people are inherently good. That's all we do. Park Run as an organisation is just an organisation. It's the people that make it great. And we we prove that people, if you give people the opportunity to be good, they'll be good because people are good. People are nice. People help. Hello and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast with me, Steve Ingham. Now, this podcast is about exploring the experiences, concepts and insights from that world of performance. And in each episode, I'll be speaking to people who have been there and done it, researched aspects of performance in real depth or have supported others to aspire. And it's my hope that you'll find something interesting, some ideas here to develop your philosophies, your work and maybe how you live your life. And if you're enjoying these discussions and fancy supporting us, then it'd be amazing if you could leave an honest review on iTunes. It helps us reach more people and shares the messages further. Equally, whatever platform you're listening on, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes or Google Play, please do press subscribe. Well, we've hit a mini milestone on the podcast at 50 episodes and we've recently ticked over 50,000 downloads. So a massive thank you to you for tuning into our podcast, giving us feedback, sharing your take home messages of what's really landed with you, suggesting guests, encouraging others to listen and for us to keep producing the episodes. So while we've hit many milestones, uh, this week's guest has been part of a number of projects that have grown to hit some serious numbers. Tom Williams is the Chief Operating Officer of Parkrun, the charity that has become a global phenomenon, providing free 5k runs around the world. Recently, Parkrun had its 15th anniversary, during which time, at the time of recording, has had 60 million interactions of participants or volunteers, with an average of 200 people participating each week. So supporting people and communities of people to run close to up to 200 million kilometres in total. Tom shares with us the spirit, the vision, the ethos and the culture of inspiring people to exercise through park runs. Tom is also the co-host of the extraordinarily successful Marathon Talk podcast with Martin Yelling. Recently, Marathon Talk had their 500th show, an incredible feat of stamina in itself. Both with Parkrun and Marathon Talk, it was fascinating to hear about how these projects started. Because if you look at those statistics of achievements, there's an assumption that they were always going to be successful. But while that idea that you've got, or maybe that I've got next for supporting champions, well, it'll only ever stay as an idea unless you're willing to give it a try. And this interview is a great reminder that successful projects all start somewhere. They all start at zero. So welcome to the podcast, Tom Williams. Thank you, Steve. Uh, now, I've got loads I want to ask you about, Tom. Uh, yeah, Podcast presenter legend. <laughs> and veteran. We had this discussion before. Veteran. Veteran. That's very Old that's boy very of humble. podcasting. Yeah. Uh, so host of Marathon Talk with Martin yep. Yelling, but also yep. chief operating officer for Parkrun. You're immersed yes. in the world of of running so mm. i also i want to hear about your insights from presenting that show creating that content and the consistency you've developed over the years but yeah i'm fascinated to hear about your insights about society and how they've engaged with yeah. with running throughout the years and mm. um, I, I looked up the podcast that i was on for marathon talk thinking it was just a few years ago and it was <laughs> It was May 2012, so you just got me before a, yeah, a little fly, a brief crazy. moment just before the the London Olympics, and I looked at the the show title, uh, in which you referred to me as as some sort of physiology guru, but but it, it start it's podcast one two three, and it just says nice. the, the, it starts with Tom like the episode number, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> and and actually <laughs> there's content in your podcast but there's character too there's also a sense of we're just expressing ourselves we just yeah. want to know 
that we we like hat tip to the podcast number. How, how do you conjure that <laughs> on a day to day basis? Just you and Martin chatting and just flying with it. Well, it we we had Martin rang me up in two thousand and nine, so we were already friends. We did our first. We met at Ironman Austria in two thousand and six, which was both of our first Ironman events, and we were kind of struck up a friendship straight away and we'd always felt we we're going to do something together. We couldn't quite work out what it was and, and, and probably neither of us were, were in careers or jobs that were quite right for us at the time. So we were a bit restless and then it took a few years, but in 2009, Martin rang me up and said, do you want to do a podcast? And didn't know really what it would be, but, but eventually, and after a period of time chatting about it and thinking about it and speaking to some other, uh, podcasting veterans, um, we decided to, to to go with the marathon talk theme and talk about running and marathons and so on. And then we had a very deliberate conversation right at the very beginning where we said, look, to what level are we going to make this personal? So to what level are we going to expose our private lives and be ourselves? Do we want to be kind of fairly polished, professional presenters? Or do we want to be the, you know, the approaching at the time approaching now we are middle-aged blokes do we want to be the approach to approaching middle-aged blokes with all the challenges and do we want to share all of that kind of stuff and we you know so we're very early on we said look let's just share it all let's just be ourselves because if we're not ourselves we'll we'll not have fun having fun's the most important thing so from really early on we 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 took the decision we're going to be really straight and and then you know that that comment you know i martin takes the mickey at me all the time for liking numbers i quite like numbers and patterns and symmetry so yeah episode one two three or two three four or four five six <laughs> the next one will obviously will be five six seven we're not quite there yet we're at 512 i quite enjoy i quite enjoy those and have fun with those but it just comes from a you know just that that desire very conscious decision to try and be as authentic and as open as we possibly can and really be ourselves whether it's taking the mickey out of martin for being a tree hugger or whether it's taking the mickey out of me for for my lazy streak and being a, a closet homer simpson then that's <laughs> fine <you know? laughs> uh, i can only imagine that that, that creates a, a real sense of connection with the audience mm. of, of the sense mm. of that it, it's not all about diet focus goals um latest kit absolutely it, it's about we're we're just we're just on this journey we're, we're exploring running as a as a thing and and how much that yeah, creates life. a bit of a connection yeah exploring life and look whenever we talk about things kind of about ourselves flaws in ourselves and we never do it and i, I hope we don't ever do it without being authentic so we never kind of makes things up or just put ourselves down for the sake of it we're just genuinely honest about it and then whenever we talk about that then we'll all without exception we get people writing to us contacting us speaking to us when we to us when we see them in person saying thank you for sharing that so you know i i'll often share that you know i i can be i have a little bit of social anxiety so i'm you know if i'm somewhere where i don't know people you know i feel really uncomfortable comfortable or if I'm the center of attention I feel uncomfortable I quite like being on stage presenting or talking I, I like that and I'm more than happy to stand up in front of 300 people and talk about stuff that's great but put me in a kind of a room where you're going to make small talk and connect with people and network I, you know I'm the person who's at the back of the room in the corner on my phone with my head down with all these barriers up because of this sort of this introvert side to me and this this kind of social anxiety that I, that I have and, you know, so that's just an example of him. Sometimes I'll be in that situation and we'll be on the show the following week and I'll say to Martin, oh, God, I was at this black tie dinner and I didn't know anybody and I felt really awkward and anxious. I didn't really like it and, and it made me feel nervous, whatever. And people really connect with that because we all have flaws and we all have weaknesses and so on. And I think too often we don't share it. So too often people present a polished side to themselves and whether it's the kind of the Instagram type culture or whether it's whatever, you know, I'm perfect. Look at me, be like me because I'm perfect. And I, and I think people don't really relate to that. And you, when you say, look, this is me, I've got flaws. I'm, I'm good at these things and I'm not very good at these things. I think people really appreciate that. And whenever we've kind of asked, spoken to listeners, met with listeners, people are part of our community and with marathon talk, they always highlight those kind of things as their highlights of the show, the things that they find 
most engaging. It's not the interviewing the Olympian. It's not the shouting about doing a PB. It's about some of the the failures. That mean not qualifying for Hawaii Ironman when I did Lanzarote Ironman in 20, 2010. Um, you know, it's one of, I still get comments now, nine years later, I still get comments, you know, people saying how much it moved them. And I'd, I'd failed in my goal. You know, I'd out with this goal to qualify for Hawaii Ironman. It took me, I spent five years working on it. That was the self-imposed last opportunity I gave myself to do it. I didn't do it. And I think people engage with it much more because I didn't do it and it fell apart and I blew to pieces uh, than had I done it, you know? So yeah, a lot of lessons there. That, that's interesting. We, we've had the same sort of response on, on a much smaller scale than Marathon Talk, but the, the number of people that are tuning into episodes or sharing clips or insights and lessons that they've taken away have been about somebody perhaps not known, not a household name, but it's yeah, about absolutely. the struggle, the journey, the the insights or, the, or absolutely articulation of that to to a wider audience is it absolutely is it the the fact that it's quite a, it's quite you said you mentioned you're an introvert is the sense that you're chatting down the line and connecting with with guests very much on a one-to-one basis we're having that conversation now down mm. the airwaves and then it gets pressed to publish and then it's in somebody else's ear. Is that a medium mm. that you specific that specifically <laughs> appealed to you that is not some sort of on TV broadcasting or being interviewed in front of in front of millions live? Um that's a really good question. So I, I think so I don't I don't I don't mind the, the number the number of listeners or, or viewers doesn't really impact me. So I was on the other day for our fifteenth birthday. I was on BBC Breakfast, interviewed live at Bushy Park with I don't know how many listeners there were, a few million viewers, a few million viewers or something. And I don't, as far in my head, I'm just having a conversation with the presenter who's interviewing me. I don't even consider that there's five million people watching live, and my mum's watching, and my family, you know, it doesn't. I don't really think of that, and I, and I, I think. I think on, on one hand, I, I think um, Martin and I always felt, we both felt, we have really interesting conversations with really interesting people, one-to-one. We're just fortunate that we're in a position where we do have interesting conversations with interesting people. Wouldn't it be great to, to have more of those and to be able to share those conversations? And so, you know, I feel immensely privileged to be able, you know, somebody does something, uh, some kind of achievement, and I can cold call them effectively and say hey i'd love to hear more about that can we talk about it um and because of the podcast you know if i was a random person they'd say you know go away you madman okay <laughs> well i guess it, maybe they wouldn't i think they would but because of the podcast they say oh yeah we'll have a conversation about that and then because of the podcast i can share it and there's real value there um i think on the introvert kind of side of things uh, i i've I struggled to understand it for many, many years. I struggled to understand why I would have this anxiety about being in a room of 40 people where there's kind of, there's no structure. And I'm, and often if I'm, if I'm kind of well known in that room, everybody's looking at me and I, and I feel a bit awkward and I don't know what to say. And I, I feel uncomfortable and I, I kind of want to be teleported out. Yeah. I could stand up in front of 500 people and, and with no, planning no script or anything and 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 love it and and actually i listened to an interview with watched an interview with with the musician henry rollins and he described exactly how i felt so how he felt fantastic on stage but terrible in social situations and um he he described it as thinking actually he's good at the back of the room when not talking to anybody not being involved, watching it from afar going on. And he's really good on the stage, but he doesn't like the middle bit. And what he said was he felt that being on the stage put a barrier between you and the 500 people or whoever it is, which then, so he could relax and be himself. And I think I feel the same. So when I'm talking to you now, when we're talking effectively to all of the listeners to this to this show, but I just feel like I'm having a conversation with you, and the fact that the medium of the podcast allows me, I guess, to talk to a to a thousand people or whatever it is, with a with a kind of a barrier between us, as it were. I don't know if I'm making sense, but yeah. it's, it's a it's an odd thing. Yeah, I'm I, still trying to understand. 
it is though, isn't it? I mean, it feels as though some of the, the richest development I've ever had has been simple one-to-one conversations mm. where you you allow yourself the permission for the conversation to unfold as opposed to, yes. I think a lot of people would, right, we're having a meeting, what's on the agenda, this is what we need to get done. Yes. And, it, and, it, and you're forced by the, the, the project or the goal or whatever it might be to, to crack on as opposed yes. to, to follow the, the journey of a conversation. And I, mm. s- since, since we set up supporting champions and I've only become just really aware of this now is that I don't have a professional development budget and the podcast acts as that of connecting with Absolutely. people to say, Oh, you're interesting. Tell us about this. Or what do you think about that? And, Absolutely. and for us to learn along that, along that route. Yeah. And you know, to put it in the running context, I'm sure anybody who runs, who's listening to this would, would almost certainly agree that some of the most intimate conversations they've ever had have been when they've been out running with a, with a friend or a family member. And there's something about running next to somebody where you're with them. You're not going to be disturbed, but you're not, you're not looking them in the face. So there's this, there's a, a safety in you're both doing the same thing and you're looking forwards as you know i think you have a much more intimate conversation with somebody running with them than you would sat down and looking at them across the table and there's there must be some kind of barrier element there that that the thing that you're not staring each other in the face and you're sort of distracted by doing some by doing the running but not enough to be not concentrating allows you to open helps you to open up well well the main group exercise i do is out on the bike and and people really value my yeah. my company because i only ever ask very big gnarly questions so that i get them to talk and because yes, i'm yes. at the limit of my my breathing <laughs> so that's that they they oh that's a really nice conversation that we had i didn't talk <laughs> yeah tell me about the meaning of life from the beginning <laughs> <laughs> 500 shows though nearly 5 yes. million downloads i mean what yeah, yeah. have More, you got nearly 8 million i think now it's eight, 8 million downloads yeah what? something oh, like that oh, yeah fresh fresh data through from your website so there's an incredible consistency and creating content for people um it's a difficult question i i know but what what have you learned oh just such an immense amount i mean i think if you really you know what the one of the most interesting things and i think this this you know martin and i have been on a huge journey over the last 10 years and um we've you know we've had kids and we've we've been through the roller coasters of of you know trying to have kids and bringing up kids and we've moved house and we've changed jobs and we you know we every all those life challenges and actually one of the things mark said to me in the very early days what were probably it might have even been before our first episode when we agreed to do it was he said you do realize that we are now going to speak to each other on the phone every single week which was hadn't really thought about that because you know we were good friends but we weren't best mates and he lived in Loughborough and I lived in Leeds and 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 I thought oh yeah we are going to have a conversation every week and actually you know over the years there's been a whole load of times I'm sure him he's felt the same as me where we thought oh no I've got I'm so busy and life's stressful I'm really struggling at the minute and the last thing I need to do is go and record marathon talk but you, we, we go and do it because we've never ever ever missed and and I, I don't do every show now, neither does Martin, but, you know, for 10 years we did every show pretty much. And actually, it's been uh, in, an incredibly powerful, I would say, mental health intervention for both of us. Time and time again, you know, I felt, oh, I just can't be bothered to do it. And then, But, but we do it. We never, ever miss it. We're going to do it. So I've gone down to the shed at the bottom of the garden. I've spent two hours messing around with my mate effectively recording a phone conversation and i've come away feeling fantastic and uplifted and positive and you know i think actually you know imagine if we if imagine if everybody did that imagine if we said to everybody look pick a friend and diarize a 90 minute phone call with them once a week forever and make sure that you never ever even if it compromises sleep or stops you getting out exercising or whatever always have that not once a week 90 minutes of having a laugh with your mate on over the telephone i think it would make a real big difference to a whole load of people's lives and inadvertently it's that just that forget the listeners forget the sponsors forget the guests 
forget the downloads, forget the website, forget the chat, forget all of it. 10 years of having a 90-minute phone conversation with my mate once a week, wherever we are, whether in America or Lanzarote or Europe or Australia, wherever, whatever's happening in our lives, I think has been immensely powerful for both of us, personally fulfilling for both of us. And it's the most mind-blowingly simple thing, unstructured thing you could possibly imagine. So that's completely counterintuitive to what I was expecting half expecting you to say in terms of i've learned this about the the trends in marathon uptake and participation oh, yeah. or or how engaged the community is um and and just for a point of clarification when you say you've had kids it's not you and martin who's have uh, had kids you've had yes, kids, we, yes. kids with separate families yeah, absolutely yes <laughs> um that's 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 amazing in the sense that uh, of just connecting with a person uh, absolutely as opposed to let's get down again down to the subject matter and the topics yeah. and the trends and the, and the how often do you connect with a person like how often do we do that how often do do we neglect our friendships and you know we do in modern life we do we spend far too much time working and being busy and doing things and we are nowhere near enough time and i didn't know that that's not something i consciously thought it's taken us 10 years you know we did it because it was a byproduct of the podcast it probably took 10 years of doing it for the light bulb to go on in my head and go hang on a minute that made me feel much better about myself mm. just the fact we're having the conversation and and do i did interviewing Haile Gebri Selassie or Paul Radcliffe make me feel better about myself? Not, not at all. Like that didn't improve my health and well-being whatsoever. You know, actually, it was just having a conversation with a friend and sharing that conversation. You know, and so that—that's. I don't want to dismiss your wonderfully uh, <laughs> human point there, but what what's your observations about the? the uptake of of marathon and half marathons and and running in general which we which might bridge to to the topic of mm-hmm. park runners as, as such but i remember seeing some data from runners world about the the number of miles run by runners so already engaged in the in the activity yeah that over the last 20 years and that there seemed to be such a big disproportionate increase in the number of miles run and uptake of these endurance events are, yeah. are almost in concert with the, the economic crash in 2008. So yeah. there was seemed to be such connection with the activity. Uh, what's, what's been your observations over the, the, well, the whole, the whole time, but, but particularly whilst you've been presenting on the subject of mm. marathons. It's, it's fascinating. I think we, we had a guest, we've had a guest on a number of times called Tony, uh, Revis, who's an American commentator on athletics, incredible guy. And he, I can't remember the episodes he was on, but what he said something interesting that I hadn't thought of until he said it. And it was probably fairly early in the life of marathon talk. But he said, one of the mistakes running has made is it's allowed a separation between the elite and the every day so he said if you go to your golf club and ask who you know who who are the current Ryder cup holders or who won the us open uh, if you go to the local football club and say who won the champions league or the fa cup they'll all know there's a real connection but across the the sort of the length and breadth of the of the sport the activity in 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 a lot of those things and i think somehow running managed to lose that so if you ask most runners who won New York Marathon last year, who's the Olympic marathon champion, they won't know. Um, and often I don't know, and I'm ensconced in it. Often I don't know. You know, it, there's a, which is, which is a really interesting thing that there'd been this kind of separation of those two parts of the sport, the grassroots and, and the, the elite. And I think we've, that was probably becoming greater and greater and greater and races were coming more expensive and there was this kind of real separation where you were either an elite runner or you were dressed as a chicken raising money for charity both of which are perfectly fine um but there was nothing in between really and i think also there was an element of of you know you've talked about cycling a few times cyclists cycling i think has done a great job of of 
cyclists do cyclists cycle because they enjoy it typically like they go out for a bike ride because they enjoy it and there's a there's a fashion side to it and and there's a coffee side to it and a great culture to it but most cyclists will go out because they really really enjoy cycling whereas i think we've got to the point where most runners didn't really enjoy running and you spoke to why do you do it and and they do it for a number of reasons none of which were because i really really love doing it um doesn't necessarily mean those reasons aren't valid but running had kind of got itself into this position where where it wasn't done predominantly because of the enjoyment of just for doing it and there was this big chasm between both ends of the sport and i i think you know by far and away you know paul sent in here it's wonderful invention of, of part run and i'm you know i'm biased and i work for part run but i can't take any credit whatsoever for for creating it that was paul's idea and, and paul Paul created Part Run in 2004 and it, it, it was probably uh, certainly six or seven years before it really caught on in any meaningful way and, and 10 years before we got any proper critical mass. But I think it's what Paul did is Paul took running and redefined it and took it in a totally different direction. And so now I think a lot of credit for this goes to Paul specifically as an individual. And I say that because I don't think it would have happened without him. So I don't think... You know, someone discovers, I don't know, gravity or electricity or whatever it is, I think it would have happened anyway. They just happened to do it at that time. But I don't think I don't think running would have gone the way running has without Paul standing it on its head and kind of turning it around. And I I I I believe now many, many, many more people run to be together to be social, to be outside, to have fun, to see different places, to explore different places, you know, to enjoy the great outdoors. And, and, and so, you know, if I was to really stand back and observe, and like I say, there is a, you know, declare an interest that I do work for part run, but I think we've seen this huge shift away from once a year, really expensive box ticking stuff towards much more meaningful engagement in running as a as a pastime for the enjoyment of it you know and you, you know you only have to to really go to some of the communities where where there are part run events and you see this the the, the joy it brings to people for no reason other than than they do it and i think that's i think that's really powerful and i, th- I think if i was to to sit to sit back and observe running over those 10 years i think that that's probably biggest change i've seen and of course running hasn't helped itself with i think 10 years ago when we started marathon talk people were very naive to the darker side of doping and all that kind of stuff and we've just seen salazar uh receive a four-year ban i think there's plenty more to come around that and and associated and i think people are starting again to to see through some of those things we talk a lot about on the show about you know is it is it right to make a hero out of somebody you don't know who's covering an arbitrary distance in an arbitrary time. Um, maybe we're looking at the world wrong. And, and I think, I can't remember whether we had this discussion before we were recording or not, but actually when a lot of our most liked guests, the guests we receive the most kind of praise for and the most positive comments for are the everyday, regular, normal people, just like you, just like me, who are, who are, battling life's everyday challenges and and rising to them or sometimes not and I, I think there's a level of connection there going away from this kind of the the elite perhaps aren't all they cracked up to be no and i think maybe it's not a bad connection or a bad thing that the mm-hmm. connection doesn't necessarily exist between the elite runners and and my run every now and again um that that Lance Armstrong's dodgy past doesn't diminish my enjoyment of spending Absolutely. three hours with some mates on a bike, and nor does any controversy uh, at the mm. Nike Origin, uh, Oregon project. That doesn't diminish that Absolutely. social connection that I would get from the the buzz of the announcements and welcoming new yes. park runners to the Rushcliffe oh, Park lovely. Run. Is that yeah, so I don't get a chance to go very often because the, I go out on the uh, out on the bike. Yeah. Winter te- offers uh, an option to to do that a little bit more often. Um, 
We're actually going to look to try and get a, a junior park run in our local oh, village. Fantastic. Actually, so I, I probably need to talk to you about. Oh, change your life, that will tell you. It's amazing. <laughs> so, so yeah. Okay, let's come back to park run in a second. But but the uptake of marathons. Yes. I mean, sometimes when people say, "Oh, I'm doing a marathon," and maybe ten years ago it would have been a, "Oh, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. How are you feeling about it now?" It's like you're only doing one <laughs> yes. or, or you're, you're not doing that at the end of a mar- an Ironman when you've also swam yes. around England and et cetera. The, the, the creep of the ultra has just been incredible yes. over the last decade. Yeah. And, and look, they've done, I think an incredible job. I think ultra running has, it's the, the culture is much more akin to cycling. I, I believe so. So when you look at ultra running and ultra runners, it's much more about lifestyle. It's much more kind of aspirational in a in a good way. You know, running in the trails and and you know, cooler clothing and less about you know cool. I don't mean is in hot and cold. I mean like trendier clothing and much more about enjoying and engaging with the great outdoors and incredible venues and all these kind of things. And much less about the performance of a of a split time and a whatever it is in a world record and so on and yes you know there are some incredibly um capable ultra runners out there and we, you know we've had them on the show and some of them I'm, I'm i'm you know proud to consider friends these days um but i think ultra running did this brilliant job of of actually connect you know most ultra runners will probably know who won western states or or you know and so on and i think i think it's it did a really good job of selling itself ultra running and but you know marathon the marathon will always be, I think, a kind of a magical sort of distance in people's minds. I got into marathon running as a as a char- I'd never run a step in my life really. I was twenty five and I'd always wanted to do London Marathon. Did it for charity in nineteen ninety nine and and didn't think I'd run another step after that. It was a I was a box ticking charity runner and that's absolutely fine and it, and it it was great. I think probably what we've seen in British marathon events over the course of marathon talk over the ten years was a a real dip when you had events getting the distances wrong and and struggling with the weather and baggage handlers were going away and uh, and the, there was a, a period of a couple of years where outside of you know the exceptional London marathon which really is just one of the most incredible events in the world outside of the London marathon and maybe Brighton I've not done Brighton but maybe Brighton you just couldn't get a British marathon that was really well organized and yet over the last I don't know, five or six years, there's a whole load of brilliant British marathons, you know, whether it's Chester Marathon, Yorkshire Marathon, you know, Manchester Marathon, Bournemouth Marathon, still Brighton, London. There's actually a whole load of really, really well-organized, really well, well, organized, really well delivered events, marathon events, which, and, and so I think it's a bit chicken and egg, isn't it? Like what comes first, the demand to run marathon events or great marathon events? And I think we were probably five, six years ago in the UK, and I used to go abroad and run a marathon every autumn. So I'd kind of run London in the spring and then a, and a, and a European, often European marathon in the autumn. And you think, oh, these European marathons, Lausanne and Venice and Dublin, they're, all, they're great. Why haven't we got them in the UK? And now we do have them in the UK, and it's great to see them, see them doing well. I mean, I mean you mentioned the, the birth of Parkrun mm. and that it probably had this this period of time for five years where it was a niche thing. It was probably local to the community. It started to sprout a little bit, but then it didn't necessarily take off or ignite as, as much. That sounds like it is one of the, either the chicken or the egg effectively (laughs) create it, make it and they will come. Sounds like a, I think, I think Paul created a whole new animal. I think it was, it was like a flannimal. Ricky Gervais's flannimal was a new thing. (laughs) Do you, is was that born out of, let's just do something different or let's create it. Or was there a need that actually drove? Oh, look, a a very clear need. And a bit like my story about, um, about, you know, my kind of lack of understanding around my own introvertedness. I think it probably took Paul 10 years to understand why he started park run really. And we, we jokingly refer to it as a, now as a social intervention for a lonely bloke. So in 2004, Paul was a, um, <laughs> Paul was that lonely bloke and he, he didn't realize it like many of us don't. And so, you know, he was a runner, he was a two and a half hour marathoner, um, and life wasn't going well for him. And he shares this story publicly a lot. You know, he was in a, a bad place in his life with various issues happening in the background and running was his 
kind of salvation and what he did and the way he interacted with his friends and and was keeping him going in a dark period of his life and he um he tripped over his dog i think and got injured and the physio said you're not going to be able to run for a, at least a year um and suddenly his kind of world fell apart he, you know he didn't know what he was going to do and and so then he, you know he as a south part south african um and in south african clubs they have uh, most south african running clubs will have a weekly time trial and he was a fairly serious runner he thought i know what i'll do i'll create my own time trial in my local park um so he went to Bushy Park, invited his friends to come along. 13 of them turned up in the first week and five volunteers, one of which was Paul, one of which was Joe, his wife. Um, and he, you know, he said, you come along to the park every Saturday. We'll mark out a 5K route around the park. I'll stand there with a stopwatch. We'll do it all for nothing on the condition that you come for coffee with me afterwards. Um, and so hmm. he was kind of creating this environment to fix his own problem, his own problem of, of I need my friends desperately they're runners. I'm injured. I'm not going to see my friends. How can I fix that problem for myself? I know. I'll invite them to the park and make them come for me, come for coffee with me afterwards. And so it was Bushy Park time trial, and it was seen, you know, and he felt, and it was seen as a as a as a. I mean, it was never a race, but it was seen as a time trial for runners to get fitter and to measure their performance. And then, and it probably, you know, Paul and I have had this conversation a thousand times, but but ultimately it was a lonely intervention it was a, it was a social intervention for a lonely bloke he was the lonely bloke and then we so many of us realized that we were lonely too you know now lonely you know it's it's like being in the middle of the sea and and being thirsty you know we live in a world now where we all, we think you've got thousands of friends going back to the comments earlier about real connection are, are you really connected with people and I, and i think you know we you know i i started part running in 2007 and i would never have considered myself lonely you know i had 2000 facebook friends how can you be lonely with 2000 facebook friends i mean now i've deleted my facebook account and i'm i'm much less lonely but um actually i think what was what paul had stumbled upon by fixing a problem for himself was that we were many of us not everybody many of us certainly myself included were lacking that real social interaction we were to all intents and purposes lonely despite the fact we had loads of friends um and so once that kind of catches on and people kind of go actually you know what i, I would much rather go and go and stand in the park with 300 people than go out and run 5k on my own and it and it kind of snowballed from there so i, I think you know the, that the reason for that growth and, the, and, the, and why did, there was never, ever, ever any conscious thought of let's create something that achieves this. Um, you know, today we have, you know, a third of a million people tomorrow and, uh, and Sunday we'll have about a third of a million people take part in part run events across over 2000 locations in 21 countries. That was never the intention. You know, that was, that, that, that was never, you know, we thought fairly on, we thought that might happen. I remember Paul saying to me quite early on, wouldn't it be great if there was one of these in every town in the world? And we may or may not get there before <laughs> before my three score year and 10. But the motivation was for Paul to hang out with his mates very, very clearly. And, and, and that seems to be the feeling that you go to your first park run and you might be a bit nervous, you, you might be fearing where am I going to come or being judged or what you're wearing or whatever it might be. And then suddenly it just dissolves into this sense of, oh, we're all here Absolutely. and we're all appreciating this amazing, mm. look at all these people, where they all come from. I didn't know this many people ran. Yeah. I mean, look, we, <laughs> and, I, 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 I'll tell you a story. I was, at, I was at an event in one of our, a part one event in a, in a, in a prison recently. Um, and it was the, a lot of our, we got, a number of events in in on the custodial estate and uh because of the nature of these venues the the courses have to be quite creative so this course i was running around uh was 14 and a half laps um for the 5k and i'm running around with this with this kid and it was a young offenders institute i was at and i was running around with this kid and we're chatting away and you know he was he was serving time in this young offenders institute it, it was only 17 um and he was he was relatively towards the back of the field he was relatively slower than some of the other participants and they said there was this other kid lapping us fairly regularly who was quite speedy 
And every time this kid lapped us, he'd say, oh, go on, such and such. And the lad I was running with would say, oh, thanks, such and such. And and they were real camaraderie between the two. And at the end, they were like, you know, high-fiving and, and really sharing that experience, despite one being a whole load faster than the other one, really sharing that experience. And 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 the the, the young lad that I've been running with said to me, he said, I used, to, I used to really hate that kid. And I used to have really uh, bad thoughts about him. And I really, really didn't like him. He said, but then part run came along and now we're best mates. And you realize the power of, of being active together in a community outside and all those things. It's no different whether you're in, whether you're in Bushy Park in a Royal Park in London or whether you're in a custodial estate or whether you're in Moscow or whether you're in San Francisco. That it's not really about the running. It, it, it's about sharing an experience and connecting. And actually what we see particularly, we see it everywhere, but we see particularly in some of our custodial events is the way that, that unbelievably kind of bitter rivalries suddenly disappear when you have this shared activity, you know, in, in, in wonderful ways. I suppose the, the real essence of what sport is about. Absolutely. That, that we're going to go, we're going to go into this, uh, whether it's a head to head, like a tennis match or something, or whether it's a football game, two tribes meeting in a stadium, or whether we're going to put our effort and our minds and bodies on the line a bit, that that is the essence of Absolutely. sport. You, you finish it and it is generally, generally pointless there's no outcome from running around a park um, other than some health benefits but the but the that it provides that connection to each other that social spirit absolutely you know and you know what i'm not sure so when i listen when i think back you know we started this conversation talking about marathon talk and things we'd learned you know when i've spoken to some of the 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 past the athletes from the fifth 1950s and 1960s that i've spoken to who were amateurs and loved it you know whether you know whether they were you know the likes of ron hill or the likes of chris chataway whoever it might be who who kind of did it for the love of it and had a job or did it when they were really young and then retired when they were in their very early 20s and became a doctor or whatever they did i th- uh, i'm not sure it's any better now for being professional and, I, and i've never quite understood the 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 need to earn money as an athlete. And a lot of this stuff's made it clearer in my head. One of the things I've learned is, you know, those people, they didn't take it as seriously as we do now. And the kind of the professionalism and the, the money and the makes it all a bit serious. And it doesn't mean you can't perform. You know, we uh, probably my most memorable conversation was with Chris Chataway and we talked in depth about his achievements um and his experiences in the 1950s and and when we talk about the breaking the four minute four minutes for the mile it you know the way he talked about it it really wasn't that big a deal then you know i mean for example in 1954 when he when bannister broke the four minute mile and 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 chris chataway paced him to it bannister didn't win sports personality of the year um chris chataway won sports personality of the year for and predominantly around breaking i think he broke the 5000 meter world record the, the four minute mile wasn't that big a thing then. And yet we've turned it into this massive, 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 massive thing now. And yet we saw it. And I really enjoyed Kipchoge trying to break two hours. I enjoyed both of them. I enjoyed the one at Monza and I enjoyed the one in Vienna. But we professionalism seems to have made these things much more important than they should be. And I'm not sure, actually, when you go back to the days when you you run around a full, whether you were Bill Adcox running to what did he run 210 for a marathon in 1968 as a full-time gas fitter in coventry i'm not sure we're better off now with athletes being full-time and earning a load of money and needing to be social media influencers and so on how i'm not sure the sports move forward and when you when i look at when i have conversations with some of those you know it was predominantly the guests we've had from that era from the 1950s predominantly the guests have been male from that period of time that we've spoken to when we took to those old boys they loved it and they went on to have a great life and and i think probably they engaged with the in running the right way because they really 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 loved it and not because it was paying the bills um and maybe we've maybe we'll come full circle and and going forward more people will engage with running because they really really love it 
and less people will engage with running because it pays the bills and that's probably a good thing is that a little bit like the team sky or team ineos the cycling team where where it is computer controlled performance and and very much precision as opposed to the flair aspect of it almost a bit a bit like missing steve ovette where he's doing this little signature <laughs> yes. uh, coming into the home straight that what are you after there is it the role models and the spirit of it as opposed to the intensity and the precision control that that might suck the soul out yeah look and i and i think that this we i personally i think there's far too much focus on outcome and nowhere near enough focus on process and what that means is there's compromises are made moral and ethical compromises are made in order to achieve an outcome and i think that the sad thing is that filters down into everyday life so i think you know the things we see with lance armstrong the things we've seen with with alberto salazar you know i believe that we're on the verge of a quite a big case with the with the team sky doctor what you see when you focus on outcome 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 well then by default that ends up with processes being bent and blurred and and lines being crossed because and whether that's a kid then cheating in an exam to get an a because the pressure is so great to get an a or or whether it's an an athlete cheating to get a gold medal because the pressure is so great to get a gold and second place is the first illusion all that nonsense it becomes problem really really problematic and i'm not sure that when you look back i think my interpretation and my conversations with people from the the year of the 1950s and the 1960s and i'm not saying oh look it was great in the good old days but a lot, you know, when you speak to Chris Chataway about the four minute mile, they did it because it was kind of a fun thing to do. It wasn't the be all and end all, and it wasn't, you know, nobody nobody thought anybody was going to die if they did it. And it was it was just kind of a fun thing to do. And I, and I remember, you know, using my own example, you know, I took up triathlon as a, a sub three hour marathon, I took up triathlon, took up Ironman, wanted to qualify for Hawaii, spent five years dedicating my life to, quali- to trying to qualify for Hawaii. Martin did, and I didn't in the end, which he loves reminding me about. Um, but the people used to say to me, cause I really did. I mean, I tra- trained 30 or 35 hours a week. I went from a semi sort of non swimmer. I mean, I could swim, but not very well. Who'd never owned a road bike to doing, you know, nine hours, 24 for an Ironman. And I, I ended up missing Hawaii by two minutes. At Ironman Switzerland in, in 2009. So about half a percent it was of performance. I missed it by, and people would say to me during my journey, you know, you're putting everything into it what are you going to do if you don't ever manage to get there? And I never understood that. I'd always say, well, I don't care. So what do you mean you don't care? You're you're getting up at five every day. You're swimming 200 lengths of the pool every morning. You you know, you're you're training like an elite athlete. You're putting everything into it. How can you not care if you don't achieve your goal? And I said, well, it's it's never been about the goal. I mean, I'd like to go to Hawaii. It'd be fun. It gives me a target. But the aim is to enjoy the process. The aim is to be the best I can be whatever that is, is kind of irrelevant. So whether I do 8.55 and qualify for Hawaii and win my age group, or whether I do 9.55 and never qualify, never even get to Hawaii, doesn't really matter. But I want to I look at myself in the mirror at the end of the day and say, you know what, well, I, I was the best I could be and, and, I, and I lived to my values. Um, and I think that's where we look at elite sport. I think that's where it's really, really gone wrong in, in that it's focused so much on outcome. It's forgotten about values. And I think the real danger of that is the neglect of values then filters down into everyday life. And then you, you know, you, you have kids believing, you know, then they get two A stars and an A in their A levels and they think they failed because they haven't got three A stars. Yeah, so, I mean, in fairness to Kipchoge, I think he's doing it in a values-based way, isn't he? Where he's actually genuinely inspiring person and he's he's sharing his journey along the yeah, way. Yeah, I enjoy it. Like I say, I enjoyed both the both the Monza attempt and Vienna. I, I watched them both and I really enjoyed them. And, and I, you know, I've I've got a lot of time for Kipchoge. I think, you know, I think it was a great project. Um, but again, I thought people got a bit serious about it. The sort of the people who really didn't like it, like it was a, I'm not sure that was Kipchoge's best run. I'm not sure it was the best run of the weekend. Or arguably, the 2:14 female world record on the Sunday was a better performance, yes. and yeah. potentially Kipchoge's 2:01 in Berlin was a better performance than his 1:59 in in Vienna. But it was a load of fun. I think if I was a 2:01 marathoner, and Nike said to me, "I tell you what, should we have a bit of fun? Create a, create an environment and try and get you under two hours." I'd have 
love to do it. I think it's a great thing. I think that that was fun, you know? <laughs> that was fun. It, it was. I mean, it was certainly animated on social media about laser controlled pacemakers and so on. But, the, uh, you know, anyone who's ever been on Strava has appreciated a tailwind occasionally. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, it's some some environmental doping or assistance in that sense. Yeah, look, when I broke three hours for the first time for marathon, I deliberately sought out Venice Marathon, which is net downhill and right. point to point in a long straight line. You know, that's <laughs> that's fine. Like, you know, I think, but it, again, it comes back to how do we take, do we take these things too seriously? You know, and what should we take seriously and what shouldn't we take seriously? And what is the essence of sport? What is the essence of performance? You know, and, and I think there's there's some real you know before my before my marathon talk life before my my part run life i worked as a sport and exercise science lecturer at the university of leeds and i used to teach a little bit on sports ethics and i think we forget to start with the question of what are our values and what is achievement and what does it really really mean you know and i and i think we really really neglect that well why are you doing that and at the end of the day when it's all done how do you want to reflect on your choices and your actions and what you did and i and i think why run you know interestingly you know you see when we talk about part run to people some people just cannot fathom it cannot understand why you wouldn't just go out and run 5k on your own just cut it's just not in them to understand and some of them get it instantly and that's not a criticism of anybody but there's a clear you know, I I remember speaking to a, a really, really well-known, retired, world-class 5,000-meter runner um, who hasn't run for years and years and years and years and years. And I said to them, you know, you know you're know, you not on a park team. You might come to a park run, maybe come and run. No, 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 I don't run anymore. I haven't run for years. Oh, yeah, that's a real shame. You know, why don't you run? And, I, and well, I only ever ran to win. That was it. Now I can't, now I can't win. I'm not interested in running. Which is, and I'm not criticising that. It's it's an observation, but it's interesting how we have those different values. Now, if, if actually somebody you, you start out and you, you know what, all I care about is winning. I, I'm happy to bend the rules. I'm happy even to break the rules. I just want to win. Then that's fine. But I think people should be open about that. And I, and I think too often we see those two things contradictory you know no 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 we're 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 gonna operate within the spirit of the rules and we're gonna be really really values based and we're gonna do things this way this way whereas the actions betray that and i think i think that is a dangerous thing for society because i think a lot of people are watching and emulating and and so on and i, and I think that's where it, it can be a problem so what I get a sense of, at least for a recipient of Parkrun, I don't know anything about the company and its background, but it's it's values-driven about community, about a shared experience, about connection, as well as testing yourselves and, and, and getting some feedback on, on how you're getting on and providing a vehicle for activity. Well, if that's the, the, the values that I'm experiencing, well, from the inside in terms of your role as chief operating officer and responsible for the, the the growth or the outreach and the and the development I, i'm presuming globally what what are the goals and the forward direction for you as a company um so yeah so we're, we're a part on global is a uk-based charity with that operates in 21 countries um with a so part one uk for example is a not-for-profit company that is a subsidiary of the of the global charity that's that's based in the UK. I, I'm our global COO, so I, so I oversee. I work alongside our global CEO Nick Pearson, and our, and I am ultimately kind of responsible for for the the things we do, how we do them, where we do them, and so on. So whether we start in Japan or the Falkland Islands, or whether we launch juniors or not, or whether we have defibrillators at our events or not, whatever it is, I, I I'm kind of ultimately responsible for for those kind of things. Um, and, and Nick and I will work together on, you know, what is the future? What will part one look like in, in, in 10, 15, 20 years time? And to, to give you, to give you the real insight on that, we, we, so we started as this social intervention for a lonely bloke for Paul, and then we grew for years and years and years. 
and we were very very organic well look we'll start part runs where somebody wants one and who comes comes and who doesn't doesn't and that's fine and then nick came on board in 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 2015 as our global ceo and said look i think we need to be more proactive about our mission statement and we really believe in mission statements and our values and so on and actually we've got a great opportunity here and our, and our opportunity is to make the world healthier and happier so nick drove the changing of our of our mission statement to a healthier happier planet with a with a kind of a subtext to that of for free for everyone and forever and so we we live every single day every decision we make every single day is based on that healthier happier planet free forever for everyone and so that ends ends up with us launching in prisons or ends up with with us partnering with gp practices so we have now have nearly 1400 gp practices in the uk uh, and a number in Australia now registered as official parkrun practices, encouraging their patients to go to parkrun. And it's not just because they need cardiovascular exercise. Often it's because they're, for example, lonely. And it's like, here's a community that will that will welcome you. We So with those words and that mission statement in the back of our mind, we look, we look forwards. We just turned 15. And to give you some idea of the scale and the opportunity so far... I've not looked recently, actually, but so far we're at about 60 million instances of participation. So walking, jogging, running, volunteering has happened about 60 million times at Park Run in the first 15 years. You, you must only just have to look at that to get a spring in your step every day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's remarkable. We pinch ourselves, to be honest. Like, I think we're, we try, you know, we, I like to think we're a pretty humble organization and we, we can't really believe it. You know, we're, it, it's just, we're almost speechless however when you look forward so we're growing at about depending on the metric we use we're growing at 20 to 25 percent a year and we have you know hundreds and hundreds of requests from people in countries we every single year from in countries we don't operate in and you know all kinds of weird and wonderful locations as you know the european space station and and Antarctica and <laughs> aircraft carriers and, and everywhere you can imagine, right? And so the, we see this opportunity and we did a forecast a little while ago of, of where do we think we'll go in the next 15 years? So, and just on purely on the numbers alone, so we're starting at the moment about 10 new park run events a week. Um, when we look at the numbers alone, we expect that in the next 15 years, we'll deliver, we'll see about maybe 900 million instances of instances of participation will be close to a billion i think in the next in 15 years time so when you think about it like that in the first 15 years of the 30 we've seen 60 million in the next 15 years we may well see eight or nine hundred million so five we've done roughly six percent of that 30-year opportunity has happened in the first 15 years and 94 percent can happen in the next 15 years which are numbers, and when you think about a billion instances of recorded, identified physical activity over a thirty-year period, it's it's remarkable. And before we we kind of panic <laughs> and all have nervous breakdowns, we have to quickly reverse backwards and say, okay, well, look, we delivered two thousand events. Next week, can we deliver two thousand and ten? Let's not worry about delivering twenty thousand a week events a week just yet, but we will get there. And so when we think about that opportunity, then that then that's 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 where our minds are at the moment. Uh, so you're taking a similar approach to run, running a marathon, aren't you? Really, that that rather than worrying about the, the miles, you're talking about what, what can I get out for the next run? What Absolutely. does that need to look like? How do I extend myself a little bit tomorrow compared with yesterday? Absolutely, and, and reserving the getting rid of any judgment. So we'll all have been through it in a marathon. You get to mile whatever, 15, mile 18, mile 20, and you I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And you, you get these wobbles. And of course, whether you think you can or can't, you're probably right. And 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 often you say, look, forget whether you can do this marathon or not. Just get to, can you get to mile 16? Yes, I can. Okay, let's get to mile 16. Can you get to mile 17? Yes, I can. Okay. And so you bring it back, and we very much, you know, if I really thought, can you deliver 900 instances of part 900 million instances of participation over the next 15 years? I'd probably just fall to pieces and say, no, <laughs> I can't. And I'd go and lie in a dark room. But can we deliver 2010 events next week? Well, we delivered 2000 this week. So 2010 doesn't sound too difficult. And 2020 and 2030. And, you know, can you start, you're in 21 countries. Can you do 22? Can you do 23? Can you do 24? 
And I think by having that approach, which like you say, is very much an approach you might take to training for an endurance event or participating, competing in an endurance event. I think that can be really, that can be really, really helpful. But going back to the kind of, I guess, almost the theme for the whole conversation, you have to set your values and you have to stick to those values. Cause if you, it, otherwise you've got nothing and you've achieved nothing. And if we're sitting here, if we're having this conversation, Stephen, 15 years time, and yes, part runs reached a billion instances of participation, but it's sponsored by soft drinks companies and junk food companies, then we'll have failed. And I, you know, you, I will, Nick and I will have failed categorically if we've got a billion people active and it would be different people, but a hundred million people active a billion times, but we've sold out to, you know, the sugar industry of the world. That would have been a failure. And we're very, very clear about that in our, in our heads. You know, we turned down 49 out of 50 approaches that we get from various commercial partners for those reasons. And we really do stick to our values very, very strongly. Mm. I love the fact that you call it 900 million instances in the sense that it, it, it could be several repeat you know people are doing this regularly it's not necessarily just the number of people but i i like that i like that sense of those these are day-to-day week-to-week experiences that people Absolutely. are are having like, it's too, so important just... isn't it? it's neglected you know like like anybody can get somebody to be active once that's that's easy nobody's life's been changed by being active once it's about mm. habit and repetition and community you make friends when you're active once like you you make friends when you engage with the community and so you know today four million different people have participated in part run as a walker jogger runner or volunteer about 60 million times might be a little bit shorter actually but it's over 55 i'm sure but four million people about 60 million times and we would expect if we reached a billion it's probably a hundred million a billion times rough roughly but um that's really really important to us I, you know what? I can't wait for that to happen. You know, well, I guess, sorry, I can, but I'm, that's actually a lovely thing to hear about that's 15 years in our future that that will happen at some point, mm. probably. Yeah, or, if it's know, not 15, it's 20 years. I mean, it, yeah, unless we really yeah. mess up. Yeah. But, but that sense of, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get too deep and existential on you, but there's a lot of noise, negative kind of hate going on in the world. And actually, <laughs> no. Park runs a bit of a beacon for a lot of people. It's it's such a wonderful thing. Yes, uh, and I don't say that lightly. Thank you. That that actually people can look at and go, that's an amazing thing. Yes, that and, you, and you know what? All, the time. all we do is we prove that people are inherently good. That's all we do. Like like Park Run as an organisation is just an organisation. It's the people that make it great, and we we prove that people. If you give people the opportunity to be good they'll be good because people are good people are nice people help you know i sit in the middle of these 2000 events and i see all the incidents we have you know of course we have people collapse and you know things happen and without exception the community steps in and helps and supports in in all kinds of amazing ways people are good human beings are good unfortunately the tiny 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 minority of bad ones get all the press overwhelmingly people are good and i think all we do is give people opportunity to be good and hopefully us alongside with a whole load of other organizations there's loads of great organizations out there like good gym like 5k your way there's loads of other great organizations doing good things and i think all we do is we we prove people are good and and i think that's that's immensely powerful fantastic so uh one last question for you tom what's what's next for you on a personal level Oh, blimey. Um, <laughs> you know what? This is going to sound really cheesy, but but I really mean it, doing less. So th- this year I did Comrades Ultramarathon in South Africa with my dad. It was a lifelong dream for him. He's 74, just. He was 73 when we did it in June. Lifetime of being an active smoker, drinker, everything. Discovered exercise and physical activity in his late 60s. Um having 55 years previously trained for comrades as an 18 year old and injured, getting injured and not doing it. And then had a five decades of, of, of poor health behavior. He discovered, um, exercise and him and I managed to complete comrades ultramarathon together in June this year. And it was clearly one of the top 
handful of life-changing moments in my life. It was just in, in, to share that with my dad was just absolutely incredible, particularly because of his history. And he carried me really in the end. I fell to pieces. <laughs> That's another story. But, um, but I think at the same time, it taught me that we do too much. We say yes to too many things. We take on too many challenges. Being busy and tired and knackered and exhausted isn't a good thing. It's not a badge of honour. The kind of work hard, play hard, I think is a, is a negative culture. Um, and, you know, I my if I, I don't have any real physical activity goals, any outcome goals, any marathon goals, any running goals at all. And if if I spent the next five years of my I'm 45 now, if I spent the next five years of my life saying no to more things and doing less things and and spending more time with my family and less time achieving arbitrary outcomes, then I think I'll I'll be a much healthy I'll be much healthier and happier for the uh for the benefit, for the good. Fantastic. Love that. Really, really appreciated your insights. I, I've, you, you've given me some wonderful philosophies today, and 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 challenged my thinking as well. And I, I think that that strong sense of connecting with friends and and that lovely story about Paul Sinton Hewitt yeah. about, about connecting with friends. Um, but no, so so rich with insight. Congratulations you, on creating the communities and experiences that you have done through. Marathon Talk and Part Run. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you want to follow Tom, then he is on Twitter at TomWilliams1974. If you're inspired to get your running shoes on, then please do visit parkrun.com and marathontalk.com. You can follow us on Twitter at support underscore champs and me at ingham underscore steve. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram under supporting champions and subscribe through the website for the latest updates. And if you're feeling like supporting and championing us, then please do leave a review on iTunes. 